I'm glad that the air conditioner is working so well that some of you need sweaters. I'm glad because I am a sweater. And so if you need a sweater, it means that I'm not going to be a sweater. And let's see how many more times I can say the word sweater this morning. No, it's good to have you all here. Uh, listen, I try to be honest and transparent with you, and I'm having a rough week. I was sick yesterday. Uh, my wife's worked the last two days. She works again today. And uh, when Megan asked me how I was doing this morning, I said, honestly, and she said, yeah. And I was like, I'm barely hanging on. So uh, you know that old line, God won't give you more than you can handle? That is a lie. That's not in the Bible, and it is a lie. Because he has given me way more than I can handle, but it's through his grace that he's carrying me through. So if you would pray for me this morning, because my tummy's a little rumbly, my head is hurting, but um, it's not COVID. I tested. It's not COVID. What? Oh. Yeah. Christy. All right. Well, today, I want to talk to you about loving what you do. There's an old statement, old saying. I tried to find out who it was by because it's been attributed to so many people. And what I can come up with is that its source is anonymous. Uh, the statement is, uh, do what you love and you will never work a day in your life. And uh, I can tell you that even if you do what you love, sometimes it will feel like work. But it's a lot easier to do something you love for work than to do something that you hate for work. Well, today I want to talk to you about loving what we do as service to Christ. If you would, open your Bibles or your Bible apps with me to the book of Nehemiah. Now, a lot of people will tell you that Zacchaeus is the shortest man mentioned in the Bible. He's a wee little man. A wee little man was he. But I would argue that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible. He was Nehemiah. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, even if it was courtesy. Laugh. So here, Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chisel, Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So this is a time of captivity when the land of Israel had been overrun by its enemies, and pretty much everyone in the land had been exiled somewhere else, gone somewhere else. This is uh, the time of Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, the prophets. and Here, Nehemiah is serving in the palace, and he is the cupbearer to the king. And uh, he gets a message that Jerusalem is in ruins, the walls torn down, the gates have been destroyed by fire. So his hometown, the place that he loves, where he was born, is not doing well. Uh, 
the town where I went to high school, I love, I consider it my hometown. It's where all the important things happened to me. I got real depressed when I found out that the A&W root beer had closed down. I spent a lot of time there in high school. Uh, you could still get root beer in a frosty mug. You could drive up and car hops would come out to you. Fries, burgers, it was a, like, did any of you ever go to an A&W root beer? Like, it was a place. And I was sad when it closed down, but can you imagine hearing that your hometown was basically destroyed and in ruins? So Nehemiah says, verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servants, Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant, Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So here Nehemiah is confessing his sin, the generational sin of the people of Israel, and he's asking God to bless what he's about to do. Now Nehemiah, as I mentioned, cupbearer to the king. What does that mean? Well, back in these times, people in power were very powerful, but they also had much to fear because because of their great power, other people wanted to take that power. And so kings would have cupbearers, and they would be people who would be in charge of the cup that the king drank from. And before the king drank from the cup, they would drink from the cup so that if there was any poison in said cup or the what was in the cup was rancid, the king would never, never have to deal with it. It would be the cupbearer. Verse 1 of chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 12th, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Now it's not a good idea to be sad in the presence of the king because if the king doesn't like you, he can get rid of you. And I don't mean letting you go. I mean letting you go. Like when your dog is not doing well and you put them down, letting you go. And the king said to me, why is your faith sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. 
Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? All right, so he's sad in front of the king because his hometown's not doing well. And he's taking a risk, but the king's like, what's the problem? So then he said... So I prayed to the God of heaven, verse 5, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your, in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Here he's servant to the king, and he's asking the king for time off to go back and rebuild his city. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when you will return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates, for the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. So not only was he asking the king for time off, but he was asking the king to write him letters to make his path clear so no one would give him a hard time. And he was asking the king to pay for all of it. That's pretty gutsy. Can you imagine having a boss and going to your boss and being like, man, my hometown's bad shape. I'd really like to go there and build it back up. And your boss is like, well, how long do you need? And you're like, oh, it'll probably take me six months to a year. And your boss is like, okay. And you're like, and uh, can you pay for it? Like, this is a big, big ask. Like, this is major. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He was humble before God. He confessed his sin to God and then asked God to give him the courage to make the big ask. And God did give him the courage to make the big ask. And more importantly, the king gave him the permission to go, the time off, and agreed to pay for everything. Well, we serve that same God that Nehemiah served. And we follow that same God that Nehemiah followed. And we have a God who will make a way for us when there seems to be no way. We just have to believe that there is a God who is big enough to make the way straight for us when he calls us to do big things to make those big things happen. And I don't know, I was praying about this this morning, I don't know how many times I need to see God do big things before I finally get that God does big things. I mentioned to you earlier that I'm struggling, that I'm having a hard time 
these last couple days with Christy being gone and the girls are not feeling well and the girls are being sassy. And on the way here, I was like, why did I let God put me in this situation where I have to deal with these sassy little girls? Completely honest with you. Rethinking, why did I listen to Christy when she said we should go get another kid? I could have said no. And then it hit me. It's because God does big things. It's not always easy, but God does big things. And then I got ashamed of myself for not remembering the big things that God has done. For those of you who are on Facebook, every day you see there are memories that pop up. And it's been six years this summer since we started raising money for uh, to get, no, it's been seven years, sorry, to get Eliana. She's been with us five years. So all those fundraisers for Eliana have been coming up and the fundraisers for Brizzy have been coming up and I've been reminded on an almost daily basis that God does big things. And adopting those girls isn't the only big things that God has done in my life. But they're big things. And I'm always... Whenever people ask about Brizzy, I'm telling them, we got her from Ukraine. And they're like, you got her from Ukraine this year? And I'm reminded that, yes, we did get her this year. Then I say, do you want to see a picture of me standing next to a blown-up Russian tank? And they always say yes. And I'm always excited to show them that picture. Because God does big things. But why do I let myself forget that God does big things? Our adoption of Eliana costs almost $40,000. Brizzy's adoption costs over $40,000. I don't know the exact amount because God provided the way for us to do that by the generosity of friends and strangers and family. I don't know exactly how much it costs. I have an idea but I didn't write down every cent we spent or that was spent on our behalf. God does big things. I need to be reminded of that and I need to be grateful for that and I need to love what God has called me to do those big things because He loved me and did a big thing in my life to save me and rescue me. I grew up in a church somebody was calling me and must have realized that it was Sunday morning and that I was probably preoccupied right now. Uh, I grew up in a church, but I didn't really listen to the call of God in my life until I was halfway around the world in Taiwan. Well, I listened to him by going to Taiwan, but it's only because he made it obvious to me that he wanted me there. And God got me to this church with my kicking and screaming. 
And I've said before, now it's the only thing I want to do is pastor this church and serve this community. Well, I want to eat some popcorn and watch movies from time to time too, but it's not the only thing, but the most important thing that I want to do. And it's so easy for me to forget and get caught up in the you need to let me brush your hair. You need to eat your breakfast. You need to do your homework. You need to get ready for school. You need to get your homework done. You need to get the mund mundacity, the mundane things in life get so in my face that I forget to love what I do. And I forget to love what God has called me to do. And if I can remind myself on a daily basis that God loved me so much that he saved me and gave me a hope and a future that I should then love what he's called me to do. He's called me to be a dad to two little girls who, who knows what would have happened had I not responded to God's call. He gave me the opportunity to be the biological dad to three kids who, who knows what they're going to do. called me to pastor this church. Who knows what's going to happen through this church and this community. But if I can remind myself to love what I do because God first loved me, then we will see lives changed and we will see the world changed and we will see a difference in our lives and in our families and in our communities. If we serve a God who is big enough to let a man who is a slave to a king be bold enough to go to him and say, give me the time off to go save my hometown and you pay for it. And that king to not blink an eye. Remember, it was his kingdom that destroyed that city. Let me rebuild what you wrecked. And that king, without blinking an eye, said, do what you got to do. So if God calls us to do something, he will accomplish it in us and through us for his glory. Earlier in the scripture reading, Pastor Justin was reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I think it was. Let me find it. I think I need to make the letters in my Bible even bigger. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then later in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do, sorry, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The things that God's called us to do aren't for our bosses or for other people. They are for other people in the sense that God wants us to serve them. But the things that we do should be to glorify God. Because God has done so much for us. There's been a lot of talk about debt this week. You know, the president promised to pay $10,000 or $20,000 worth of college debt, and people are all 
up in arms about it. And I don't want to talk about the politics of it because that's not the purpose of me being up here. But we serve a God who paid a debt that he didn't owe because we had a debt that we could not pay. The Bible, sin, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that song, Jesus paid it all, he paid it all. When he died on the cross, he said to Telestai, it is finished. The payment has been made in full. It's the idea of completing a mortgage payment or paying off a car. You can give the bank more money, but they'll just send it back to you because you, they cannot take money for a payment that has been paid off. Sometimes that's fun. It's not fun getting the bill, but have you ever paid off a bill and you accidentally sent them too much money? Happens a lot of times when you sell one house and buy another house. You, there's a miscalculation in how much you owe on the house you're selling. And when you move into the new house, you get a check for a couple hundred bucks from your old mortgage company saying there was an overpayment. It's not free money, but sure feels like free money. Well, God paid all our debt. Jesus died on the cross. He paid it all. There's nothing else we have to do. And if God can do that for us, we can give our lives away in service to him. Not because of duty or requirement, but because of the love that we have for him. And if we can love serving God, then the work he calls us to do will never feel like work. Even when it's hard. It is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in us and wills in us to do his good pleasure. It's my favorite verse. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we pray that you'd work in us and will in us to do your good pleasure and help us to love what we do. Even when it's hard, even when it's frustrating, even when the mundane things of life get in our face, let us push them aside for the upward call to you through Christ Jesus. We pray that you would take us from here today in peace, be with those who aren't feeling well. Be with those who are sad. Be with those who are traveling. Lord, help the Morrises find the right church that you have for them. Lord, help us to be your people and your and salt and light in this community for you. Help us to continue to serve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pray that God will... Oh, sin. Yeah.
Pastor Ed was the senior pastor at, at Faith Baptist Church for 27 years? Was it longer than that? All right. Well, for a really long time. He was the pastor while I served there. I think he retired in 2015. And uh, he's been dealing with uh, some uh, dementia. Yeah, some dementia. And he was uh, fell out of bed the other morning and was unresponsive. And they had to take him to the hospital. And so he's been in the hospital since then. So let's pray for Pastor Ed. God, thank you so much for the ministry that Pastor Ed had in our community. Lord, we pray that you would give his doctors wisdom, give Joanne the peace that she needs and the wisdom to make the right choices. Lord, we also pray for Joellen as she faces surgery coming up. Also be with my mom and give her strength. Lord, take us from here again today in peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>